Welcome to the 49th episode of It Wasn't Me, a true crime podcast, where we discuss murders that intrigue us. I am Cindy. And I'm Mercedes. Thank you for listening to last week's episode where we feature Jesse Anderson, the wife killer who was murdered right alongside Jeffrey Dahmer. Our show is often horrifying and graphic, and we will use offensive language, so if you have kids, put them away for a while and join us for a murder. Also, we are passionate and always have been about true crime, but we must warn you, sometimes we will make jokes and we will laugh during this podcast. Want to learn more about us? Visit our website at itwasn'tmetruecrime.com to find links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages. If you like what you hear and you'd like to help us out, please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform and leave us a five-star rating along with a comment. That comment is important. Also, please recommend our podcast to your friends. The more the merrier. Hey, Mercedes. What's up? How you doing, Cindy? Nah, I'm okay. Guess what you said last week, too. Yeah. You want to talk about it? No. <laughs> no. Okay. Other than my life's one big shit show, but other than oh, that. Oh, yeah. You have a lot on your plate right now. I do. Yeah. Speaking of shit show, I just want to let everybody know <laughs> <laughs> that back in June 2011, no, no, back on June 11th, 2020, like what, mm, five, six months ago, we had a leak behind the wall in my shower, and so we just now are getting it fixed. And um, so if you hear, like, construction-type noises, sorry, but I'm about to have my own toilet again. <laughs> Yay. So I started listening to that podcast you recommended last week. Which one was that? Relative Unknown. Oh, is that my the name God, of it? yes. Uh, it is so good. It is really good. Yeah, I'm at the point now where, like, I'm just waiting every week for the new episode to drop. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. yeah so, so I'm, I'm all caught up. up. What? I'm, I'm, I don't think she's finished yet. Oh, yeah. okay. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah, it's not. And then you need to check out In the in the Red Clay, I think is what it's called. And that one's about the Dixie Mafia. Oh, yeah. Yeah, which we actually talked about. We did. A couple of times because I, I know one guy, you said, tried to hire the Dixie Mafia to murder. You did that, Mar- you yes. did that one. I can't remember who it was. And then we talked know. about the Dixie Mafia, I think, when we did Sea Murder. Yep, yeah. we've talked about it a couple of times, and yeah. we have kind of some links here in our little no-name town that we live in. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> interesting. Like, you know, maybe once we do all 50 states, I might hit the Dixie Mafia just just for, you know, but that's a really good one. This guy mm-hmm. did, um, the guy who's doing it did, has done a lot of research, and then the guy who started it, his son his son is interviewed like throughout the whole the whole oh, series wow. so it's very um intimate and you know you get the perspective all the way around so oh, nice it's I'll a lot to... like relative unknown oh, okay it's i'll like, have to yeah, start that yeah, so definitely check that out all yeah right. for sure yeah well, good good anything else exciting in your week oh lord um no my bathroom i did i did mention that i'm yep. gonna have a bathroom soon i <laughs> yes. i cleaned yeah there are four uh, four of us in this house uh three grown men mm-hmm. and me and yeah i mm, i'm ready for my own bathroom i bet yeah so yeah all um, right mm-hmm. Yeah. So what you going to tell us about this week? Well, we're going to hit Hawaii. Oh, I like Hawaii. Never been there. Have you? I was born there. Oh, but do you have any living memory nope. of it? Okay. <laughs> Not at okay. all. <laughs> all right. So, so you were born, but you were military, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. All right. Yes. I was born um, in Honolulu. Okay. All right. So here we go. I will crucify all of these names. <laughs> 
So, Masumi, is that Masumi? How? Masumi Watanabe. Watanabe. That, that's not how I was saying it in my head. That's how that's I okay. would say it, Watanabe. Watanabe. Uh-huh. Okay. She's Japanese. Okay. My daughter-in-law is Japanese. I know. And my grandchildren are mixed Japanese. Yes, they are. They're so cute. They're so cute. <laughs> they are. All right. So, um, Watanabe yeah. was visiting from Japan and staying with, I read in a couple of different articles that she was staying with extended relatives, but then I read another one where they were just family friends. So she, she was staying on the island of Oahu in Hawaii, and she went missing April 2007. Oh, wow. I, I know that, that Hawaii is like a, uh, it's a frequently visited spot by Japanese oh, yes. people. And like my daughter-in-law, her grandmother was born and raised in Hawaii, but her parents were Japanese. I think she was born in in in, in Hawaii, but she was raised there. I know that. Mm-hmm. And then she had to come back for something about citizenship or something. Um, and then she never quite fit back into the Japanese culture because, you know. Yeah. Yeah. She'd have been Americanized. <laughs> <laughs> it's your pen. Okay. It's got like an ad okay. on it. All, All right. right. So, approximately at nine, around 9.15 on April 12th, 2007, um, Watanabe? Yeah. Watanabe was dropped off at Lower... Pupukia? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. No Road. Pukia okay. Road. I don't by, know if that's right. I don't either. By the relative family friend, because she liked to walk. They, um, I guess there was like a store called Foodland. Okay. And so, she would make that trip. And it would take her about 30, 40 minutes. To, and she liked to walk that every day. And um, I also read that she volunteered at a local elementary school. So she was there for a period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is where she was last And seen. Japanese, like, like everywhere in Japan, people walk. Now, when I, I mean, like, as, especially the bigger cities, mm-hmm. um, people, like, it's really hard to get a driver's license there if you're a Japanese citizen. And it costs a lot of money, so there's oh, wow. a lot of a um, lot of walking and uh, public transportation. Oh wow! Okay, I have a friend that's getting ready to go to Japan. Oh, I love Japan. So they're not real excited about it, but oh, yeah. <laughs> so um, anyway, witnesses have said that they saw her getting into a termite and pest control vehicle. Really? Yes. Hmm. I wonder if that was by choice. Well. My little red flags are ticking and she likes to walk. Why would she get? In? Why would she get in a vehicle? Right. Yeah. So the driver was a white male and it stated that Watanabe looked confused and was not speaking to the driver, but that he was speaking to her. Now, and there is a little bit more detail as I go on okay. about what the witnesses actually saw. Okay. So someone saw this. Yes. Oh, thank goodness. Yeah. This was not a well I mean, not that out. it helped yeah. at all. But. No, not at all. So it was about a month later when Kirk Matthew Blankford was arrested for the murder of Watanabe. So th- she just went missing. She was reported missing. There were search, you know, they were looking all over for her. Um, Langford was known by his neighbors as a devout Christian, devoted father of two, and a husband with no adult criminal record. Now, it is stated later that he had a juvenile record, which I will go ahead and say it now. But, like, to me... I don't know if that really meant a lot. They didn't go into detail. It could have been anything. Um, he did not have an adult record. However, um, when I go into it a little bit later, I'll, there was some accusations made, but nothing ever came of that. So, so, and who knows, because a juvenile record could be something 
super small or yes. it could have been, you know, a, a attempted rape. It wasn't a violent criminal. Okay. A ri- violent because that does come in. That's said later, too. Okay. So, but Kirk Langford also happened to work for the same termite and pest control company that he was a pest control technician. Um, however, obviously, he would later be fired. Um, he was, in fact, working in the area that Watanabe disappeared. So, you know, all of these things are kind of lining up. So so her friends who dropped her off on the road, like, they start calling the police when she doesn't show back up? Yeah. Or somebody saw her get into this car and called the police? No. She, like, was reported missing. Okay. From everything that I, I mean, I really tried to find out. There's lots of things that I tried to find out that there just wasn't a lot of information. Right, right. Um, but I was too far deep into, to like, back right. out and yeah. start over. Um, so there were two witnesses that came. I mean, there's more than two witnesses. But these two witnesses came forward and reported seeing Watanabe on that Pukakia Road. Okay. I know that's probably not how you say it. I mean, it, you but. were born there. You should know how to pronounce our words. <laughs> so between 920 and 940 on that day with a man resembling Langford, who was standing next to a white work truck. One of the witnesses testified that the woman appeared stressed and a little and a little bit antagonized, seeming to be waving away the man who resembled Langford and to be saying the word no. Oh, my God. Um, other witnesses reported that, another witness reported that she saw Langford's employer saw the same work truck and that a man wearing coveralls was standing outside the vehicle and that the woman climbed into the work truck from the driver's side. Uh-oh. Yeah. So, I mean, that's almost like, was she pulled in? Yeah. I mean, that's kind like, of, yeah. Yeah. Mm. It's just kind of weird. So, it's also reported that Wananabe was painfully shy. Her mother would later actually testify that she was painfully, painfully shy and that it's very unlikely that she would have gotten into a stranger's vehicle. Oh, my Lord. Can you imagine that poor mother? I mean, I always think about these people who send their children to the United States and then these kids, you know, these young, young adults. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was only 21. It's just, it's just, it's heartbreaking. Right. And and her parents actually came over from Japan as soon as she was reported missing. And they, you know, they, they were going to stay here until uh-huh. she was found. And, you know, because I don't think stuff like that happens in Japan. Like Japan is, you know, like. I mean, I'm sure that it does, but I don't think it happens, like, on a regular basis like it does in the United States. Right. Well, Tokyo mm-hmm. has, like, the lowest yeah. crime, rate in the, crime rate in the world, that, but that's because they'll cane the shit out of you in public, too. Well, I don't know if they... <laughs> no, they won't. That's in China. They don't do that in Japan. But there is, okay. a, there is public shaming. I mean, they yeah. do, you know, there is that. Plus, it's not diverse. You know, like, in the United States, we have such diversity mm-hmm. and so many different cultural... Um, I guess, differences, whereas in Japan, everybody has almost, you know, like the majority of the population is Japanese. Right. And they believe the same. Right. Yeah. Whereas, you know, in the United States, we have, you know, the great melting pot. (laughs) Yeah. The great melting pot. Yeah. All right. So, um, well, I already said that. So he, so he was a suspect fairly quickly because of the witness statements. Yes. And the truck and, you know, they kind of narrowed it down. Okay. Like, okay, we saw this work truck, this white man, you know, and, and the it, description of him. And he happened to be working in this area. So then that prompted them to, you know, go and search his truck and all of that. So authorities would later find the victim's blood and eyeglasses in his work truck. Oh, God. And the windshield was cracked on the passenger side, but he blamed a bird. Originally, this is, that that was his story. Okay. Okay. Um, he does change his story later, and he, you know, I'll tell you all about that. So photographs showing scratches on Linkford's hands shortly after his arrest. Expert testimony, because I got a lot of this from 
um, the appeals, okay. like what really happened, concluded that the scratches were consistent with fingernail marks, testimony that the blood matching um, Watanabe's DNA profile was found in his work truck on the door panel, like the door panel, and the front passenger side of the truck and the driver's side door and the glasses, like I said, were found in his work truck, uh, matching her prescription and from DNA matching. So her there's profile. no question. She was in that truck and yes. she put up a fight. Yeah. Well, and then he later changes the story on why she was in the truck. Okay. All because right. at first he's saying she was never in the truck. Yeah. He was saying that. But the, then you can't deny the evidence. All that. Yeah. Right. So another witness would later come forward stating that they saw a man around midnight digging a hole near Kahana, Kahana, Kahana Bay. Um, when questioned, the mystery man um, claimed to be looking for a gold necklace uh, at midnight. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. So the witness was no fool <laughs> and recorded the license plate number. And what do you know? It was linked up to the personal vehicle oh. of Kirk Langford. Ooh. And that witness would later identify him in a, in a lineup. So he was, He's not a super smart criminal. And he was only 22. So this is, um, what do you call this when it's like... Um, I don't want to say spree killing, but maybe, um, like it's at the spur of the moment. Like, yeah. what is that? That's, is that what it would be disorganized? A disorganized maybe. killer? It, or? He was very disorganized, but. Okay. Possibly. Because, I mean, sometimes these people, like, they dwell on it and they plan this and then. Yeah, this know, wasn't okay. planned at all. This is like a spur of the moment. Yeah. Something yeah. triggered it. Well, so Langford's okay. wife would later state that her husband left to do a side job, but came home with muddy socks. But she later recanted that statement. Um, As I stated earlier, Langford did not have an adult criminal record, but he did have a juvenile record, which I didn't think much of because there's no telling what that could have been. He's Mm -hmm. described as very religious, a devoted father and husband. Now, I did read somewhere else that there was an attempted rape charge on another Japanese woman, but she could not um, identify him in a lineup. So nothing ever came of that. Wow. I read that somewhere. And then when I went, I tried to go back and find where I read where. Mm-hmm. Not, oh, I hate was, when that happens. Yeah. It was somewhere. And there's like, lots of articles. Yeah. And it. like in my show notes, I always try to put like a keywords. I'll remember, okay, this one has something about, you know, the murder. Or this yeah. one has something about the crime scene. But it is. It's it hard to go back and sometimes. you know you read something, you can't find it. Yeah. It's infuriating. I mean, I know I definitely read yes. that about this. Yeah. So um, the indictment charges were second degree murder and accused him of knowingly killing the victim or knowingly harming her and allowing her to die without rendering assistance. So why would that be a charge? He was accused of knowingly killing the victim or knowingly harming her and allowing her to die without rendering assistance. So second degree murder means that he didn't plan it out. Mm -hmm. It was and I guess that when he did something that caused her to die, she suffered, mm-hmm. is my guess. Mm-hmm. And he did not call 911, so he just... Yeah. So what he's saying is at his trial, he would later admit that she did die, but because he accidentally hit her with his vehicle, he says that he sideswiped her as she was walking, and but she was only slightly injured, and that he loaded her into his truck to try to take her home. Now, I re- okay, so here it is. Like, he testified he testified that they were driving around the neighborhood for a period of time. She became very upset and started screaming. Langford and Wan- Wantanami, 
Wabanabi. Wabanabi. I'm like, I'm not saying that right. We're yelling at each other. And she apparently not understanding him because her, she did not have a grasp on the English language very right, well. Right, right. Um, and he was, he says that he was trying to get her to calm down. So he's saying that, no, I accidentally hit her and I put her in the car to help her. And then she yes. freaked out. Yes. It's kind of like the time that I found a squirrel in my yard that got electrocuted and I took it in my room. Oh and my then God. when I gained consciousness, it freaked out. <laughs> I mean, I don't mean to compare this woman to no, a squirrel, but, I mean but it- yeah. And she's in shock and then realizes, oh my God, this weird man. Yeah. Yeah. But if he had already been arrested or suspicious suspected as being um a rapist Mm -hmm. then i have to doubt his story yeah well oh yes very doubtful so she he's saying that she got really really quiet and a moment later as he was driving down this road at a speed of approximately 30 to 45 miles an hour she quickly opened up the passenger door and dove out of the truck Ooh. okay Langford turned the truck around to look for to look for her, found her lying on the side of the road with her head punctured oh. or cracked open and missha- misshapen because he's saying she hit a rock. Oh. But I'm just thinking about that. Okay. Um, she did not appear to be breathing. He checked for a pulse and could not oh, locate a pulse poor, or a heartbeat. Poor woman. So he said that she was dead. Okay. So he freaks out. He claims that the victim could not. This is kind of going back a little bit. He, he sh- because of the language barrier, he they really couldn't, you know. But I'm thinking that maybe I mean I don't know because I looked up a picture of his wife, and maybe she's Hawaiian, but mm-hmm. she kind of looked Asian. So I mean I don't know. Well, Hawaiians can look Asian. Yeah. like I said, there's a there's a huge Japanese huge. population over yes. there. Yeah. So supposedly, like I said, she was agitated probably scared out of her mind like you said she probably like kind of came to her senses after she got hit by car and was like what the fuck right what is this and flipped out um so he says he panicked and got rid of her body he said that after he was caught trying to bury her that night he disposed of her in the pacific ocean did he get a boat to take her out somewhere in the deep doesn't say oh he just says he disposed of her he explained that he didn't call for assistance because he was already been disciplined at work for careless driving and didn't want to get fired for reporting another accident his story just seems a little too pat doesn't it Mm -hmm. like it could possibly be believable it could be it could be but he re Okay, okay. It it could be believable except for the scratches and everything. I mean, I guess if if the squirrel effect, that squirrel freaked out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it it is very plausible. But so. Oh, good word, plausible. Word of the week. (laughs) So he's worried he's going to lose his job. So he didn't, you know, tell, he didn't report the accident or anything. I mean, you can find another job. This is a person's life. Right. So Langford placed one. Watanabe. Watanabe's body in the back of his work truck and drove within a few, um, he drove to his next job site. Oh. Where he sat crying and praying. Okay. Langford concluded then to try to make the whole situation go away, he placed her head in a plastic bag, moving her body into a big compartment on the passenger side of the truck cab, which then he closed and locked. So like a toolbox? Uh, that's what I'm thinking. Like one of those things that open on the side. Those... Yeah. Why would he put her head in a bag? Well, maybe to keep the blood and the brains from getting all over the vehicle. Yeah, maybe. Because her head is bashed. Mm-hmm. Well, 
Yeah. So Langford completed his second scheduled pest control treatment that morning and proceeded to Foodland, where he purchased items intended to facilitate his subsequential subs- subsequent <laughs> disposal of the victim's body. After completing his assignments for the day, he returned to the office where he cleaned the dried blood off the back of the tailgate. Langford completed his paperwork for the day, called customers for the next day, and headed home. So he functioned just like it was a regular day. Yeah. If I hit somebody with my car, I mean, I would I would just... I'd be a damn basket case. Yeah. And I damn sure wouldn't try to hide it. No. So then he took his personal vehicle, picked up his wife and son, and together they went to church for band practice. After band practice, Langford dropped his wife off and son off at home and went to Home Depot where he purchased a shovel, plastic bags, flashlight, and duct tape. Langford then returned to work where his truck was with her body inside. He moved the body from the work truck to his personal truck, placed it inside another plastic bag, taped the bag, placed the bag containing the body inside yet another bag, which he also taped. Wow. Experts later testified that Lankford's versions of events were factual. If they were factual. If they were factual. Excuse me. If they were factual, she um, would have been severely injured instead of just a few scrapes on her arms. Um, Lankford testified that he sideswept the victim. According to experts, his window and antenna were still intact. And this is not in line with crash recreations. Well, the fact that if she would definitely have some bruising. Mm-hmm. For sure. Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever been hit by a car? No. Okay. I have. My friend has. And um, I've had my foot run over. Yeah, that uh, hurt. Uh, mm-hmm. um, and, yeah, I did have, like, a bruise. And the guy was backing up and hit me while I was... He was backing up and then hit me. So he wasn't going fast or anything. But it did leave a bruise. Yeah, I would think so. But then the fucker just drove away. He didn't Ugh. even stop. Of course he did. So... They also found that there was zero blood found in the bed of the truck where Langford said he placed her. So even though he washed it off, there's still, like, residue. Like, I mean, that's how people get caught all the time, right? Right. So in addition, there was no blood found on any of the rocks where Langford said the incident took place. However, the rocks were not tested until a year after her disappearance. So somebody, somebody messed up there. Yeah. Langford was found guilty of second-degree murder in... It was actually just a few days shy of the year anniversary of her disappearance. The normal sentence for such a crime is life in prison with a chance of parole. But if the offender is considered exceptionally dangerous, then life without parole can be imposed. Okay. Prosecutors originally wanted for a harsher sentence, but mental health experts determined that he did not have an extensive violent criminal history. So they forewent the enhanced sentence is what it was called. And a violent criminal past would have been like a mitigating factor and required for this type of sentencing. Okay. So the attempted rape of another woman is not because because there was no conviction or he wasn't he wasn't convicted of that. He wasn't even identified. Okay. Like he was a person of interest. And then the person who was saying that he did it could not even pick him out of a lineup. So that wouldn't be considered. That sometimes doesn't mean jack shit. I know. know. I know. So a year after being found guilty, Langford was sentenced to 150 years in prison. Okay, good. I'm good good with that. He does have to, um, he is eligible for parole, though, but he has to serve 50 years. So if this happened when he was 22, he probably didn't go to prison until he was 23. So 70. Yeah. 70 something. Okay. 
When sentencing Lankford, the judge called him a predator and a danger to the community. Lankford still attested that he did not kill the victim, but does admit that his handling and disposal of the body was heartless and wrong. Okay, so did they ever find her body? No. They never found her body? No. Never. Lankford is quoting a saying, like I, um, I'd like to say again that I did not kill Masumi, one, say it again? Watanabe. Watanabe. And the judge says, 12 members, men and women of your community here in Hawaii, did not believe you. Good. <laughs> so. Um, doesn't matter what you say. It wasn't me. That, yep. Doesn't matter. Yep. So, as I mentioned, her oh. body was never recovered. Okay. Prosecutors do not believe that he disposed of her in the ocean. They think that that's a lie. They think that he buried her somewhere on the island. And that because, I mean, I guess they would know that. If he had just thrown her in the ocean, she would have washed yes, up. Yes, that by was now. why I asked if he had a boat. Because if you, you know, if you can't get that body out deep enough and weigh it down, so it, I mean, listen to me, like I really know what the hell I'm talking well, I mean, about. Even Lacey Peterson, yeah, they found her all the time. Well, that's why you know that Spring Breaker who went missing. Like I don't believe that he. I believe he's somewhere in our county, six oh, yeah. feet under. I, I don't have... believe. What's his name? Joe's uh, uh, Rennie Joe's. Rennie. Yeah. Rennie Joes. I have a friend who is, you know, fire, EMA, a paramedic uh-huh. fireman on right. in our town, on the beach, where he where this person went missing. And he says 100% he's buried under a, a sand dune somewhere. Somewhere. They, okay. he, they think that he actually wasn't really murdered, but he probably died. Like, whether it be alcohol poisoning or right. drug abuse or something. Right. And everyone freaked out. Didn't know what to do, and that he's probably buried okay. in because, like a sand yeah. dune somewhere. Because if they, if he would have gone swimming, like like some people are trying to say, mm-hmm. his body would have washed up. Your body, yeah. you know, you don't. If you can't get that body far enough out there, mm-hmm. and even then, you know, depending on the tide or whatever. Yeah, because yeah. my friend was, you know, part of the crew oh, looking for him. Yeah, and he was like, man, he's he's under a sand dune. So, all right. So of course there was an appeal, and I tried to read the appeal and I tried to understand it, but oh. That legal ease sometimes is it is it's difficult difficult for sure. All right, so they appealed on many many things, and I just highlighted a couple of here, a couple here. Um, The defense stated that the court may have abused their discretionary power. So it is my understanding that when they called for the recreation expert, the the prosecution had they recreated this, and they said, well, his you know his antenna wasn't missing, this his window or his side mirror wasn't missing and this couldn't have been happening well then the defense had theirs but they kept prolonging like the testimony of this guy and the judge i think just kind of got fed up and was like look you either need to re-question this guy or bring your your person to testify or you know it's like he just kept putting it off cutting it off and the judge finally said it's not gonna happen and so they tried to say that they that was an abuse of discretion okay. or denial of Lankford's right to compulsory process. So denying him the right of this expert witness to yeah. testify. Yeah, and this surbuttal, which okay. is like the rebuttal to a rebuttal. Oh my god. Yeah. I had to Google that word. Lankford elected not to call his recreation or reconstruction witness during the case in chief. Which, I mean, I guess that's like during the original trial, despite repeated warnings. The law itself, however, made Langford's plan to defer his reconstruction witness to 
surbuttal, surrebuttal, a risky one. The trial judge does have the authority to exercise reasonable control, and he finally just said, you know, no, you're not getting your chance. Okay. You're, you're, it's too late. So, in light of the trial sequence, the numerous warnings afforded the circuit court and the fact that we must find an abuse of discretion before we may intervene. This is what the appeals court people are saying. It was reasonable exercise of the circuit court's discretion to require that Langford call his accident reconstruction witness during his case in chief and then to deny the motion to present the guy Calhoun was his name as that witness. Okay, so the the circuit court is saying no, his rights were not correct infringed upon or they were? No, they they were not. Okay, so they they threw aside that um, they threw out that yes appeal. Okay, so then another there was like several different things. Of course, you know how it is when they do an appeal. They have all these. They find they go through it with a well, fine tooth comb and try to right. Re, you know, but it's they try to la- latch on as many as they can. And I remember one case where the appeal was important, and like they brought up a hundred and ten things on appeal. Yeah, and the judge is like, you know, that's overkill at this point. We don't even look. We don't have time to look at them, mm-hmm. and we're not. You know, yeah. we we look at these twelve. Or yeah. Whatever. Yeah. So the right to compulsory compulsory process. This is what they said. The circuit court found that Langford's purpose was purposely delayed calling his accident reconstruction witness in order to gain a tactical advantage. Um, when a party willfully fails to comply with a trial court's instructions regarding discovery, a trial court's pulse, um, preclusion of witness testimony does not violate this compulsory process clause. So they were delaying it on purpose, like yes. to try to get like a tactical advantage, and the ju- and they were just like, no, right, you can't do that, right. These um, people are taking their time out of their day to yeah. come and sit here. Let's not waste our time, right. So then they tried to say ineffective assistance of counsel, and that one is always yeah. grounds for appeal. Like they always serve that one in, yeah. yeah. So Langford argues that his counsel failure to call the Calhoun person, the reconstruction guy, during the case in chief deprived him of the defense that the first and second incidents had occurred as he testified. Therefore, Langford contends that he was deprived of his constitutional right to effective counsel um, under the Sixth and Fourteenth Amendments of the United States Constitution, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, they said no. Jury instructions regarding murder by omission was another issue that they were taking up. Langford was charged with murder in the second degree, which could be proved by commission or by omission. In his third and fourth points of error, Langford argues that the jury instructions regarding the by omission alternative were prejudiciary. Am I saying that right? Uh, produ- prejudicially. Prejudicially inefficient, erroneous, and misleading because the circuit court failed to accurately define the term crime. What? Uh, does anyone really need the definition of crime? Okay. Um, well, you have to give them the definition of the crime. Um, I know when I did jury duty, it that was... just says de- define the term crime. crime. Right. Because they wouldn't already know what that means? To specify that the intentional or knowing state of mind applied to each element of by omission charge. Uh. Langford does not reference where in the record these errors were objected to or brought to the court's attention. Interesting. Yeah. All right. And then there's one for substantial evidence. Langford argues that there's no substantial evidence to support his conviction for a second degree murder because they didn't find her body. But 
There was also a time where they said, well, we won't go for 150 years if you tell us where she is. And he refused to. He refused to tell them, nope, I dumped her in the ocean, which they don't believe. Um, when reviewing the second, the record for substantial evidence, the evidence presented at trial must be considered in the strongest light for prosecution. The substantial evidence to support the jury's verdict that Langford committed murder by commission. Multiple eyewitnesses testified to seeing him, um, to seeing her get into his work truck the day she disappeared. Her blood and glasses were found in his work truck. A witness testified to seeing him digging a hole that night. And after initially denying that he had ever seen her, he admitted to his involvement in her death and disposing of her body. Number five, Lankford admitted preventing, uh, he prevented her body from being examined. Yeah, because then you probably see what kind of torture he inflicted on her because you know he probably sexually assaulted her. Well, and that's what they believe. They believe that he raped her, killed her, and then hit her body. They don't believe in, you know, no one believes any of his nonsense here. So, um, and then there's just a bunch of other mumbo jumbo that I don't really understand. Okay. So I tried to find him. I could not find where he was. I don't know what prison he's in. I tried. I even went to like the Department of Corrections in Hawaii. Oh. I Googled it. I could not find him at all. I was able to find, well, and like a public record type thing. Mm-hmm. So then it said, I know that he's 36 in Hawaii. And then it had these names that he might be related to. So one of them was his ex-wife. So I was able to like see pictures of her on Facebook and his kids. But that's it. I tried. I failed. I'm sorry. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, I. I so, that, I mean, did, was there anything like as far as like his church, like his family and friends? I mean, were they all shocked by this? Yes. Or? Everybody was shocked. There was one guy who said that they held like Bible studies once a week. Um, he was very active in the church. And um, there was another guy who I, I meant to do some research on the church because it just wasn't like a regular, like, First Baptist of, yeah, of, you know, yeah. Honolulu or anything like that. It was like some, like, Brady's house or something church. And I was like, oh. which made me think, I was like, oh, is it a cult? And then I just didn't even. Well, and, you know, sometimes these people who have these dark, ugly thoughts will embrace religion, mm-hmm. you know, throw themselves into it. Either trying to like keep them, them their those th- thoughts away, either that or to you know put on a, a mask to people and say, oh, I'm this good Christian. Yep, and, you know that's what I, I mean. You saw wow. his picture. I mean, he looks creepy, but that doesn't he mean does. Anything. He looks a lot like Voldemort. He does. Yeah, you He's know, just in like, a way. Yeah, yeah. He was just creepy looking to me. Yeah, he, he was, was not a very attractive man. And I mean, I just feel so bad for her family. That is, yes. uh, and they said they weren't leaving until they found her, but it's been several years 2007 so so 13 years so i'm assuming they're probably back in japan that's um that's yeah it's um it was really sad yeah it is sad it is sad i mean it was kind of you know i was hoping that i would find where like maybe they have found her by then but Mm -hmm. i I wasn't able to yeah she's still missing yeah i who knows how many missing people are still out there you know but yeah well thank you so much cindy for sharing this awesome story with us it was a short one again i tried it's okay it was good though i mean it was something i had never heard of yeah and um yeah i mean there was the xerox murders and in hawaii but that one's kind of like really popular is it i've never heard of it so i I don't know went into like a xerox place like a, a company Okay, and, and shot it a bunch up. Of people, oh, yeah. okay, okay. No, maybe I have heard of that one. Yeah, that's um, 
it's a sad story, but thank you so much. You're welcome. Well, thanks everybody for listening to this week's murder. We appreciate sharing our passion with you. We thank you for your support. If you'd like to support us even further, please consider subscribing to our podcast, sharing it with your friends. Also, give us a five-star rating and a comment. Your subscription and ratings are essential to our success. You can do this on your favorite platform. And for more information and links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages, visit our website at itwasn'tmetruecrime.com. We are so grateful to spend our time together and share our murderous stories. Thank you so much for your support. Please recommend It Wasn't Me to Your True Crime Lovey friends and family. Also, thank you to our Patreon supporters. You are the extra. You too can become one of our beloved patrons by signing up at patreon.com forward slash it wasn't me pod. Thanks again, guys. And remember, it wasn't me. me.